Hi, my name is Dan Dick, host of Church Matters. Today we're going to put aside what was originally scheduled and respond to some listener feedback to our last episode. In that episode, you heard storyteller Soren Minnehawk retell a story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, from the perspective of an indigenous person. Starting with verse 17, Jesus tells a man seeking eternal life that he must sell all that he has and give his money to the poor and follow Jesus. The perplexed disciples are listening to this conversation, and then Jesus says these famous words, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Soren paraphrased it this way, Friends, how hard it is for settlers to enter the Creator's way. To paraphrase Jesus the Waymaker, it's easier to stuff a Nelson Rockefeller or a Nelson Redicup through the deposit slot at Van City Bank than to get your average settler to embrace God's red road of justice and wealth redistribution. Soren's retelling got a lot of conversation going among Church Matters listeners, and we heard about it. That's a good thing, even if some of you disagreed with Soren's retelling of the gospel story. Listeners also shared with us some of their impressions about Canada's First Nations people. So, we're going to spend some time today to respond to those impressions, and others. My guest today is Steve Heinrichs. Steve is the Director of Indigenous Relations at Mennonite Church Canada. He's been a pastor to white and First Nations people. Steve is married and has three children. Welcome to Church Matters, Steve. Thanks for having me, Dan. Great to be here. Steve, you've spent a good portion of your life with Indigenous peoples and communities, so I'm going to put you on the firing line. Are you ready to respond to some of the popular assumptions and impressions white middle-class folks have about Canada's First Nations? I'm certainly no expert, still learning a lot, but I'm happy to share some of my experience, my thoughts, but hopefully also convey some of what Indigenous communities and friends are saying to these things. Okay, so there's a lot of impressions out there that uh, tell me that people think Natives have a lot of special privileges, that they get a better deal than the rest of us. People say they get free housing, they get free education, they don't have to pay taxes. Yeah, that's a good question, something I hear a lot. Um, But let's break it down. First, I don't think most Native peoples would refer to healthcare, education, and tax benefits as special privileges that they get, but more so as treaty rights. Most of Canada is treaty land, which means that the Canadian governments, when, they, when the Crown first came into these lands, they negotiated settlements with the original governments, the original peoples of this land. And during that negotiation, in exchange for settler peoples having access to land and to resources to settle in these lands, they promised to give First Nations peoples certain things. And amongst those promises were education, health care, and no taxes on reserve lands. So these are part of the covenant promises. Okay, I just want to pick up on that brief comment about no taxes on reserve land. So are there conditions to this negotiated agreement? Yeah, when it comes to taxes, uh, the great myth is that First Nations people don't have to pay taxes wherever they are in Canada. That's not the case. Non-status First Nations peoples have to pay taxes, income tax. Okay, Steve, you're using the term status Indian. Can you explain what that means? 
uh, status peoples. Um, well, I'll take it personally. I have two uh, native daughters in my home. They aren't recognized by the government as belonging to particular peoples, even though that they're native kids, one Natalnath, one Stalo. They don't qualify whatsoever. So your kids wouldn't qualify for free education in the same sense as other native on-reserve kids would? Well, I was doing a little checking into how much uh, the government spends giving non-native peoples benefits. One example would be primary education where non-native children receive about $10,000 per year to support their education, whereas indigenous kids would receive about $7,000. Over the years, Steve, Canada has poured billions of dollars into Aboriginal communities, and yet we continue to hear that the on-reserve Indian population is among the most impoverished in Canada. Study after study tells us that they rank as the poorest across all main measures of physical health, life expectancy, HIV, AIDS, diabetes rates, education, incarceration, suicide, substance abuse, the list just goes on. Has all that money fixed nothing? I think it would be too simplistic to say all oh, that money has gone to rot. I think it has um, helped in, in various circumstances. To put this into perspective, though, the actual numbers around $5.5 billion that the federal government spends on Aboriginal peoples each year. The mining companies that are resource extracting native territories alone pay $9 billion a year in royalties and taxes to the federal government. So we should ask who is supporting who in this relationship. Steve, I just want to be clear, when you refer to the government, you're not necessarily talking about just the government of the day, but historic Canadian governments. Indeed. I'm the son of immigrant people. My great-grandparents arrived with virtually nothing. My grandparents and my parents had to earn their way through the world. I grew up poor. My dad held down more than two jobs, often throughout many years, to feed his family. Why shouldn't we all be equal? I don't think we need to try to take anything away from immigrant peoples who have uh, carved out a life in Canada, who have worked hard. We, I think we can honour that. That's my story as well. That's my parents and my grandparents coming to this land and working hard. I think we have to be honest, though, in saying they didn't simply do it all on their own. They were also helped by communities, whether it be the church community, whether it be the government as community providing assistance. For example, think about Mennonites coming to the southern Manitoba region. They were given a reserve in the 1880s, a huge section of land that was bestowed upon them, that was a privilege given to them. Why did they receive that special privilege? And many of the Cree Métis people that were living there actually had to be removed. Steve, I've heard people say that the real problem is that natives are lazy and, and maybe if they learned a better work ethic, they'd be much better off. The Apostle Paul said, if they don't work, they don't eat. Canadian Senator Patrick Brazo, a native person himself, said that some Aboriginals simply expect to live on the taxpayer's tab. Quote, to sit back, wait for the government to give handouts to drink and take up drugs. But the best way to get our land back is to buy it back, just like every other Canadian. Unquote. Why can't natives simply take responsibility for themselves like so many other Canadians? Well, many Indigenous peoples would say, uh, we recognize that there are problems of dependency 
uh, a, a welfare mentality amongst many within our communities. They're not denying that. But they're asking settler society, mainstream Canadians, to grapple with the reasons for why that might be the way it is. Settler societies in Canada, America, Philippines, Algeria, and other places have suggested things like it's because natives are culturally backwards that they're inherently lazy. Or it's because there's something, this is even more heinous, biologically deficient about native peoples that makes them that way, not as sturdy a people. Indigenous peoples ask us to grapple with the history, to understand why realities are the way they are right now. When I was pastoring up in northern BC, I lived next to a, a carrier people. The reserve community was Tachet. That community was a proud, hard-working community before settler peoples came into that area. Then they took away their access to the rivers because there were a number of canneries at the end of the Skeena River that they wanted to have all the salmon for. Then they took away their access to the lands, made it crown land all around them. Then they took the children away to residential schools. Then missionaries, well-intended, came into that place and said, all your traditions, all your spiritual ways are evil. Given all these things, the peoples struggled. They had no means of caring for themselves. They were invited to participate in agriculture and other things. They weren't farmers. And that place actually isn't very good for farming. And so they became dependent. Whose fault is that? Steve, in the Soren Menelhawk version of Mark 10 that we presented in the last episode of Church Matters, the character of Charlie is the Jesus figure. Charlie tells the Mennonite to go and redistribute his wealth to the marginalized natives. Now, I think some listeners took that to understand that the Mennonites were getting all the blame for the plight of native people. Why should Mennonites, or any Christian for that matter, give their wealth and resources to Native people when the government is already giving $5.5 billion a year? When Soren and I read that text, I see a couple of things that Jesus is inviting us to. One, he's not simply calling uh, rich or middle class Mennonites or Christians like myself to give in acts, acts of charity towards the poor, but he's calling us to a solidarity with the poor to share all that we have. Jesus' vision is, is one where we all have things in a common purse. Native peoples, when treaties were first being signed in this place, they would often use the analogy of the bowl with one spoon. We're all gathered around the table together. We're sharing all that we have in this land, all the gifts and resources together. That's kind of Jesus' vision. He's saying there should not be uh, disparities between rich and poor, there should be equality enough for everyone. If we look at that $5.5 billion that you quoted, that's a very small portion of the wealth that's in the bowl. $9 billion are coming from the mining industry alone back to the federal government. Who's supporting who here? $1.2 trillion, it's estimated, will come from the tar sands in the next 35 years. Again, it goes back to the bull. And also, Jesus says, if we look back at uh, Mark 10, verse 20, Jesus 
points out to the rich man, not only is he supposed to honor the Ten Commandments, but he slips in this other command. He says, do not defraud. He's pointing out to the rich man that probably some of his wealth comes from unjust means, willingly or unwittingly. And I think most of us would have to say the same is true for ourselves. If we consider, for example, our pension plans, a lot of that wealth actually comes from resource extraction industries in Canada and abroad, like the Philippines, like uh, South uh, America, that are getting wealth from indigenous lands that the indigenous peoples in those lands aren't partaking in as much as us. We're not sharing the spoon. Steve, thanks so much for coming in and tackling these questions for us. I'm sure your responses are going to keep the conversation going for some time. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a wide-ranging discussion, and there's more here than we could fit into the 15-minute broadcast. I invite you to go to MennoniteChurch.ca and download a full version of this interview. Click on the quick link to Church Matters on the homepage at MennoniteChurch.ca. That concludes today's program. Join us again next episode for another challenging edition of Church Matters. Whether you agree or disagree with what you hear at this spot, we hope you can support Church Matters. Please consider making a gift to Mennonite Church Canada so that we can continue to tackle the issues of the day. To give, just call 1-866-888-6785 or visit MennoniteChurch.ca. My name is Dan Dick, and you've been listening to Church Matters. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.